should be impossible for God to die. And, and it, it was impossible for God to die. But Jesus ended death as God in order to, as Hebrews says, to conquer the one who had power over death. And then the Bible defines that the one who had power over death is who? Anybody? Satan. A few of you remember that passage. Satan holds the power of death, and he holds the fear of it. So this is why we don't regularly declare a fire and brimstone gospel, so to speak, a message. It's because we declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is self-evident that we're being saved from something, something awful, something unimaginable, okay, uh, which is an eternal separation from God in hell. The gospel is, is God's invitation to escape that. Now, from time to time, it does become important for us to define and openly declare what it is that people are being saved from. And so today we're going to dive into the truth about hell. And, and I step into this very uh, cautiously because, I don't know about you, but there have been times that I have heard messages um, or particular Christian people almost delighted about the prospect of hell. Um, and that is inappropriate, okay? Jesus taught about hell. The Bible um, gives us a lot of information about hell, but it never uh, de declares this reality in a way that is joyful or delighted or happy about it, okay? It's a reality that's a warning, and it is something to um, bring people to a place of faith in Jesus Christ so that we can rejoice in our salvation, but we don't delight that, that the wicked will be punished forever in hell. Um, we delight in the fact that people can be saved from that through faith in Jesus. Amen? But we cannot mistake something, which is that uh, in our world today, there's very little desire um, to declare that there is an eternal hell. In fact, there's a lot of uh, effort to try to undermine that teaching, that uh, Oprah would love you to believe that all roads are going to lead to salvation. No matter what road you're on, it's going to lead to salvation. Um, she's not the only one. She's just the most famous, <laughs> popular one. God doesn't tell us that. He says there's two roads, narrow and the broad. Let's make sure we're on the narrow road that leads to heaven. Amen. So let's stand as we read God's word this morning. Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to pick it up in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, see the invitation there? He was thrown into the lake of fire. And Father, we uh, rejoice (laughs) that we are found worthy, not because of anything we've done, but because of the worthiness of Christ that we trust and depend on and believe and receive your sacrifice for us on the cross, that the wrath that we deserved was poured out that day, and that uh, all you see when we trust Jesus is your Son in us, the hope of glory. All you see is a new creation. All you see is, is uh, redeemed, forgiven, clean, pure, righteous. You see every righteous act of Jesus. You see every right word spoken, you see a complete removal of sin. And not just a covering, Lord, a removal. As far as the east is from the west, we, we have this standing in heaven forever. This reality that we are positionally, we are saved, we are right, we are children, we are co-heirs with Christ. Lord, we've been declared by you, not by ourselves. We don't, we don't claim this because we want to. We We claim it because you said it, that we're saved and we're yours. And Lord, we give you all praise for that. But even as we uh, rejoice uh, with all the joy that uh, a person could possibly have of, of knowing that we're free and eternally blessed, we must uh, face the reality of, of those who re- reject that. What, what happens why, why do we need to know this? Why do we need to uh, stare it in the face and, and understand it, Lord, so that we can become uh, more bold, more urgent, um, more confident, more in love with you, and more compassionate for others, Lord? We pray all these things would occur even as we just open your word and understand what it says, God. You teach us. That's our prayer. According to your will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I basically wanted to uh, walk through this in in a fashion of who, what, when, where, and why. Just to kind of lay this out. Who, Who goes to hell? Um, is the first question that we have to ask. Who, who goes to hell? This passage that I just read made that definitively clear, did it not? If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, that's it. That's the distinction. The only distinction the Bible makes about who's in and who's out is, is, is the person of Jesus Christ. If you trust him, then you're in. If you don't trust him, then you're out. If, you're, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've received him, uh, intentionally, consciously, you know, uh, by choice, you've, you've accepted what he did for you. If you've received Jesus, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he uh, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what? Believed. And, and there's no question, scripturally, 
uh, uh, that there's any other distinction made. It's not based on anything else. And when the Bible says they're judged by what they had done, remember that the only exception to that is grace. It's that you've received Jesus Christ by faith. That's it. Everybody else is going to be judged by what they've done. And we'll look at what that means here in a minute. But the distinction of who's in and who's out, we look at all these different things. The Bible says that, that people were uh, going to hell because of uh, darkness, because of evil, because of sinful uh, sexual behavior, because of uh, murders and lies and all these different things. And, and all that is to say is that uh, we were all that way. Some trusted Jesus with their sin and some chose not to. That's it. Um, and so when we, when we get into further, you know, distinctions or trying to understand, there's, there's going to be a lot of debate and a lot of question. And, you know, the, the, big, the big question that people have is, what about babies? What about children? What about those who are too young to receive Jesus? What about them? I'm not going to get into all the detail of all the different things. The distinction is always only Christ. Okay, the, the distinction is always only Christ. Now, let's deal with this one particular thing because I do think it is important. Um, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And, and once in a while, um, people will ask if we can baptize a child, an infant, you know, baby. And uh, we don't believe that that is an appropriate thing to do. Because we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. So a child, God forbid, if they were to die, um, is not going to be saved because I sprinkled some water on them or poured some water on them and spoke some words. Okay, we don't believe that. Nobody is saved by anything that I do to you, Right? We're saved by grace through faith. Now, a child that cannot choose and doesn't understand and has never had a, a conscious uh, ability to think or understand sin or salvation or Jesus, we believe that they are covered by the blood of Jesus. Okay? Well, we just, that, that's where we leave that. And the, the distinction comes to whether or not God is going to be fair with a person's eternity. Do you think God's going to be fair? So do, do, do you think it would be fair if one baby, because we failed to sprinkle some water on it, is going to go to hell, and another one gets to go to heaven because we did? That doesn't sound fair, and it doesn't sound like what's in the Bible. The Bible tells us that baptism is what a believer does when they've trusted Jesus Christ. And it's the only thing that it ever says about baptism that a believer trusts Jesus, and then they're baptized. And we get a little bit caught up in the mode, meaning we like to submerge everybody underwater. But the reality of that is we will always immerse, but you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. You're saved by that choice. And baptism is simply the outward expression of it. Okay? Now, here's the other thing. We're judged 
by our works. Let's, let's dive into that for a second. I don't want to get into a lot of detail here. Do you, I was going to ask you how much you wanted me to say, but the answer is always less than what you're planning to say. I know that. Okay. So when he says that books were opened up and um, all these things, every word spoken, Jesus said that every, even every careless word that was spoken, everything is going to be judged. Everything's going to be laid bare. It says that earth and sky fled away. And play, there was no place found. Every person that has ever lived is going to stand before the throne of Jesus. And everything that they've ever said, done, thought, it's all going to be on display. There's, there's going to be absolutely no hiding, okay? That's what's going to happen when the judgment occurs. Now, you're either written in the Lamb's book of life and you're automatically into the, the presence of Jesus in heaven and that's glory and that's what we're going to talk about next week and then we're going to celebrate that fantastically. <laughs> or you're going to be judged by what you've done and according to the law and every person's going to know exactly how guilty they are and the fact that they've rejected the Son of God and that they've, they have positioned themselves intentionally, on purpose, with Satan instead of with God. They're going to know that. They're going to, it's going to be uh, a, an open and shut case, and they're going to see it all laid out before them. They're going to know for a fact that they chose sin and darkness and evil rather than God, and they had the choice, and they didn't choose God. They're going to know it. Now, Jesus says that there are different levels, so it's still fair, and it's still there's still some mercy happening here, and I don't quite understand it, but there's levels of hell. Jesus says some who have been um, overtly um, rebellious and disobedient knowingly are going to be beaten with many blows, and some are going to be beaten who are, who are less aware and less understanding of what they were doing. Some are going to be beaten with less blows. That's, that passage is, uh, you can find it in Luke chapter 12 and verse 47, 48. If you want to go back and study that and read it, Luke 12, 47 through 48. Um, but why does it continually say that they're judged according to their deeds? They're judged according to their deeds. Every, every deed's going to be laid out. It's because God, even in, in judging and sending people into eternal hell, is still going to be fair with the amount of punishment. But there's no salvation. There's no getting out, okay? So the what of it, what is hell? What is, well, you've heard these terms, Hades, Tartarus, hell, Gehenna, Sheol. You, have you guys heard these terms? You know all the details of all the distinctions between these different terms? Do you want to? I, I, we could get into a whole study of all the distinctions and, and what they all mean. But let me just tell you um, very simply, Hades is not hell, but it is hellish. And it will be cast into hell. We have, to, we have to say that because here's what Revelation 20 tells us, that death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. So in God's eternal you know, uh, judgment and, and uh, the things that he's created and things that are going to happen at the end, 
he takes this place, Hades, and he casts it into the lake of fire, which we believe is hell, eternal hell. Well, what is Hades and, and what does that mean? So here's what's happening. I'm going to be very basic here. Hades is God's way of distinguishing between the preservation of the wicked for eternal punishment. And it was his way of reserving, uh, or, or I just said that wrong, reservation of the wicked and preservation of the righteous. Okay, So he's reserved the wicked for eternal judgment and he's preserved the righteous for glory. And so Luke chapter 16 gives us an understanding of what's going on here. And you've heard of the rich man and Lazarus, anybody? Okay, rich man and Lazarus, they both die. Jesus tells this story. It's not a parable, it's a reality. They both die. The rich man goes to Hades in torment. Lazarus goes to Hades, paradise. Okay, all the same place. Paradise, after Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, uh, the paradise side of Hades is empty. They all went to heaven because Jesus paid the price. Torment continues. The, the rich man that was there and is, you know, telling Abraham, please send Lazarus to dip his water or his finger in water and, and put it on my tongue because I'm in anguish in this flame, he's still there, okay? 2,000 years later, he's still in anguish. But at the judgment, he will be raised. This is mind-boggling stuff. You know that you and I as believers are going to be given a resurrection body. You know that? Do you know that the wicked are going to receive a resurrection body too? The Bible tells us very clearly that the wicked will be raised too. But they're going to be raised and then sent into hell. And then Hades, the whole thing, is just going to be cast into the lake of fire. What is it? It's eternal. Eternal. It never ends. The Bible shows over and over and over that it, their fire never goes out, that the worm never dies. It's going to continue on and on and on forever. There's no sense in Scripture that there is a, a ceasing of it. There's no sense in Scripture that you, you are annihilated, that you just cease to exist, or that it's temporary, or that you'll finally you know, pay the price after so many millions of years, uh, like purgatory, and then you get to go to heaven. None of that. Okay, it's eternal, it lasts forever. So I, I did think this was a good illustration. I heard this, read this, and I thought, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Imagine that a bird came from outer space to earth. You got that picture in your head? Once every one million years, and it took one grain of sand with it and flew off and deposited it on another planet. So every million years it comes, gets a grain of sand, and goes and deposits it somewhere else. How long would it take for the bird to completely deposit the earth somewhere else? Take a while. Just kind of run that through your brain a little bit, and you kind of get a sense. This is, nothing is adequate because eternity doesn't end. But it gives you a sense of just how long we're talking about. It's just, in the reality of eternity, I think, is that there really is no time. 
So it's not like we experience time, there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a... Time is done. It's just on and on and on and on and on. That's... Okay, you got a picture of eternity? You imagine somebody that you care about being in torment for that entire time? Can you imagine that? I can't really imagine it, but that's what it is. It's eternal, it's conscious. Um, In Luke chapter 16, the rich man knows who he is. He knows where he came from. He knows his past. He knows his family. He knows what he he had done. He, He knows... Uh, God's judgment is correct. He know, I mean, he, he's conscious. He's aware of his personality. All of these things are, are continuing on in eternity. He doesn't lose sense of self. He retains it. So it's eternal, it's conscious, and it's torment. Everything in Scripture about hell is that it's fire, it's darkness, it's chains, it's weeping, it's gnashing of teeth. I think that Part of the torment, part of it is that there is that sense of, of regret, a sense of it. Now, it's not godly regret, which is repentance. It's earthly regret, which is, I, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that God uh, had to deal with it this way, and I hate God for that. But it is regret. You ever have regret in your life? You ever make a mistake that you can't take back? You ever ruin a relationship that you cannot repair? And you go back in your mind over and over and over of the weight of the fact that that event is over and you can't go back and you can't change it, you can't undo it, you just live with it. As a believer, no matter what regret you're dealing with, there's grace. Amen? Because... No matter what I'm dealing with in life that's overwhelming, I know that in the end, God is going to reveal complete peace, complete justice, complete forgiveness, complete restitution. He's going to cover and he's going to mend every wrong thing. So I might live with the weight of a regret, but I don't live with it eternally. But imagine if you didn't have grace or hope. And you just had to live with the fact that it's ruined and it's ruined forever and I can never undo it and I can't change it and it won't end. Would that torment you? There's no end to this. There's no hope that this will just cease at some point. It's just on and on and on. Eternal, conscious torment. Fire, burning, just physical agony, mental agony, emotional agony, and never ceasing. And all because there's a rejection of the grace that was given to the church to proclaim to the world. So, you, you think about this, the who, those who reject Christ, the what and the where is hell, Hades for all eternity and then the why well the when when is it going to happen pretty simple it happens as soon as you die but then ultimately it's going to happen at the end of the millennium the millennial reign of Christ and we teach this we believe it's a literal thing 
Jesus is going to come, and he, after Armageddon, he's going to reign on the earth for 1,000 years. He's going to fulfill all the promises that God gave to Israel in a physical, real, manifest, personal reign on the earth. He's going to do that for 1,000 years, and I believe we will, as, as resurrected uh, human beings, reign with him. There will be a remnant of people that survive the tribulation. They will repopulate the earth. Okay? But after that time, Satan's going to be released. I don't understand the why of all this. I, I can't tell you. I, one of the reasons why is because God will always give you a choice. Always give you a choice. Whether it's we who do not see and yet believe or those who see Jesus reigning on the earth and still reject him. Why would they do that? I have no idea but they're going to do that. And then there's going to be a final battle. Jesus is going to wipe out all the enemies, and then there's going to be a judgment. And this judgment is going to be just what we read. Heaven and earth are going to flee away. And there's going to be no hiding. Okay, Everybody's going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. Those who are in Christ, heaven. Those who are not, judgment. And so that's the when of it. And then it's the why why is this? Now, one reason why is because um, it is right. It's right. Um, God has, and I'm not going to get into the particular theology of this, okay, whether you're Calvinist or Arminian or whatever you think about these things. We don't structurally teach these types of things because what we want to do is we want to teach the Bible. And some of the, some of the formulas that people place on the Bible, I think, restrict its teaching. The Bible says that you are made in the image of God. And what that means, to a degree, if not very importantly, is that you are a moral agent, a person who has a choice to love God or to not love him to choose him, to reject him, to follow him, to follow something else, to believe him, to distrust him. It's your choice. He made you with enough um, of himself in you to say, I respect you enough to, to allow you to choose, to follow me or not. That's part of the reason why. And so when you choose to reject him, God, he honors your choice. And it breaks my heart that why would anybody choose to reject him? What are we accepting or what are we believing instead? What are we choosing in place of God? I mean, there's nothing in this world that you could look at and say, man, that's really worth it. No pleasure on this earth is worth giving up in eternity in heaven. No addiction no sensual thing, no monetary thing, no prideful image thing, no thing about becoming something, no success thing, no power thing, no influence thing, no, no earthly thing is, has anything in comparison to what we're going to receive in heaven. But that's what people are choosing all the time. And not even just that, but just my own intelligence. Well, I know better than who? People, as human beings, judge God. Well, God's not fair, and God's not just, and God's not good, and God, why, would, why wouldn't he allow me to do this if I'm 
if I like to do this, and he's saying I can't, and I should be able to, and, and if God made hell, then I, I'd rather go to hell than to be in heaven with a God who made hell, and all these different crazy things that we decide are more important than just trusting and loving him and knowing him and finding our fulfillment in who he is and who he made us to be. But we choose all these things, and so he says, if that's what you want, then that's what you can have. But I'm going to offer you grace, forgiveness, eternal life, purpose, meaning, and the riches of heaven. I'm going to give you a new identity that you're going to be just like my son. You're going to have a new heart. You're going to have a new spirit. You're going to have it for all eternity, and it's yours free of charge. I've paid the price. All I ask is that you accept it. And yet, as often and as widespread and as, I don't know what, convincingly as we can share that message, how many people day after day, week after week, year after year continue to reject that and say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. And so, the why is because that's what people are choosing. But let me tell you this, that I already said this, but it's important for us believers. Why do we need to, to look at hell in the face and, and see it for what it is? Um, Paul said that uh, I could wish. He didn't say that he did wish it. He just said, I could wish that I were condemned in order to save my people. I could wish that. Um, he knew that that wouldn't save them. His rejection or his eternal condemnation would not win his people to heaven. But he, he almost could say, and he kind of hesitates, and I, I appreciate that because <laughs> it's kind of how I feel too. It's like I, you could almost say, I could almost wish that I were going to go to hell just to save some people. That's how weighty this is. It's like Ezekiel says it this way. He says, um, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? And the Bible is very clear about this particular reality. God does not relish condemning anyone. He doesn't want to. He, he does not want to send anyone to hell. He, he, that's why we preach the gospel. Amen? We don't preach hellfire and brimstone necessarily because that doesn't win anyone. Satan has the fear of death. God has the gift of life. And he's offering it. He's holding it out. And he's saying, I don't want to scare you into heaven. That's not the point. Just you need to know what it is that you're facing. You, need to, you as believers need to know what others are facing. We as Christian people who have the hope of eternal life need to know that my brother, my sister, my child, my parent, my coworker, my friend, my neighbor, without Jesus, the only distinction, without him, this is what they're facing. An eternity in torment. And it's not that they don't deserve it, but it is that they could avoid it. And so here's, here's the bottom line. Number one, if you are not a believer, have no 
desire to scare anyone into heaven, but I do offer eternal life through Jesus Christ. Ask yourself the question, why am I not accepting Christ? What's holding me back? What, what, is, what is it that I'm valuing more, trusting more, believing more, holding on to instead of Jesus? What is that? Am I willing to go to hell for that thing? And why? So that's the first question. The second question is for the believer, am I willing to be uncomfortable in order to potentially rescue somebody that I love? Here's what's going to have to happen is that you and me um, need to allow ourselves the discomfort of the possibility of being rejected by somebody who's going to be offended by your invitation to know Jesus. Did I just make that too complicated? It's pretty clear. You got to invite some people to church. We don't, we're not looking for a big church. We're looking for a big kingdom, okay? But you got to Invite them to a place where they can hear the gospel. And if you're not going to tell them yourself, I hope you do, then tell them to meet you somewhere where they can hear it. Amen? It's too important to think that this is a social club for us. If it ever becomes that, then I don't think God's going to allow it to continue. This is a lighthouse for the lost. This is a place where people can hear what the gospel is. This is a place where Christians can grow up Learn what it means to follow Christ. And where children can hear about Jesus from an early age, we hope, so that they don't have to go through the same garbage that you and I went through. This is a place where we want to bring people in, not for the sake of this place, but for the sake of their soul. So get uncomfortable. Okay? Talk to some people. And it doesn't have to be this place, but it needs to be a place where they can hear the gospel. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of Jesus that uh, even though hell is a reality that scares us, it saddens us, Lord, grieves our soul, Lord, we need to face it. We need to understand it, Lord, because it can compel us, motivate us, Lord, to urgently share the good news of Jesus. We don't want to declare hell, Lord. We want to declare heaven. So we pray for the strength of your Holy Spirit to give us the truth of the gospel. Let us live it out. Let us speak it out. Let us invite, Lord, as many as possible, Lord, to come here what can save our souls. We thank you that you made it so accessible. <laughs> by grace, we are saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Lord, we simply take hold of that which has taken hold of us. And we give you praise, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I invite you this morning, this Lord is puts it on your heart. The altar, you can come lay down your life before the Lord. That's what it takes. A yielding to God is, God, here's my life. You can have it.
And he's going to give you a million times better than that by his Holy Spirit, by salvation. Amen? But you may, as a believer, want to come and just lay down a person, a name, and say, God, I'm praying for this person. Give me the strength. I know the person I need to be talking to. I know the person I need to be inviting. Help me. Help me to declare it in my heart. Help me not to forget. Help me not to, you know, be cowardly when the time comes. But to do what I can do. And if it wrecks the relationship, then so be it. But I'm not going to stop pursuing this person for Christ. Amen? If that name is on your heart this morning, then you can come to the altar and just lay it down. Uh, But let's stand and sing.